0: Greetings, church. It's good to be with you today as we jump into God's Word together. And let me begin by asking you a question. Why do we read Scripture? Why is it important to actively study and meditate upon God's Word? Although there are many reasons, let me briefly suggest three. First, we read Scripture to discover truth about God. Because God reveals himself within its pages. He reveals his nature, his character, his attributes, his accomplishments, and his intentions. And he also exposes secrets and mysteries surrounding his kingdom. Secondly, we read scripture to discover truth about us. For example, we were created by God in the image of God, and we are accountable to God. And thirdly, we read scripture to discover how God designed us to function in relationship to him and relationship to others. And Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, the Bible was a divine operating manual for how to set and execute our priorities. It's a divine roadmap that, if we choose to follow it, will guide our path and lead to blessing. Now, with that being said, although everything presented in Scripture is useful, if we're honest, not everything is pleasant or easy to understand and digest. And the simple reason for that is the Bible doesn't gloss over or sugarcoat the truth. And the truth can sometimes be difficult to hear and accept. The Bible tells it like it is and like it was, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there may be no other chapter in all of Scripture where this is more evident than the one we're going to examine today as we continue our guided tour through the book of Genesis. Now, hopefully you've had an opportunity to spend some time in chapter 19 this past week And if you did, you'll know that our script contains drama and intrigue, action and adventure. We have angelic visitors. We have attempted breaking and entering and sexual assault. We have fire and brimstone from heaven that annihilates two cities. And we even have a woman vaporized into a pile of salt. And if that weren't enough, this chapter finishes out with episodes of drunkenness, deceit, And sexual immorality. Now, if you were to produce a hair raising and obscene motion picture and were assigned Genesis 19 as the script, you wouldn't likely be disappointed because it checks all the Hollywood boxes. On the other hand, if you were assigned to preach from it, maybe not so enthusiastic. Chapter 19, although it builds from the previous chapters, contains some of the bad and the ugly that Scripture has to offer. That being said, if all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, then we ought to be able to walk away with something good, and indeed we can. Because if we analyze chapter 19 from a 10,000 foot view, we'll see a familiar pattern emerge that's often presented and emphasized throughout all of scripture regarding two key attributes of God. And those attributes will ultimately have a direct impact on all of us, including you and me. And so with that as our backdrop, I've embedded those two attributes in the title of my message today, When Mercy Meets Judgment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word to your church. Spirit of the living God, anoint me for the proclamation of your word so that it falls on listening and obedient ears. And it's with great expectation that we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So before we jump into chapter 19, let's begin with some fun facts. The ancient city of Sodom is mentioned 48 times in Scripture, including 19 times after its complete destruction. And it's even mentioned 10 times in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus himself referred to Sodom five times that we know of. I should also note that any time Sodom is mentioned, it's not because they were an example to follow. They weren't. In fact, some of the terms used to define Sodom in Scripture are shameful immorality, wickedness, sexual immorality and perversion, pride, and gluttony. So we must ask ourselves, why would God inspire the writers of scripture to frequently reference a city that was so famous for its wicked behavior and lifestyles, so much so that he deemed it necessary to destroy them with a sense of urgency? Well, the scripture provides the answer. Jude put it this way, and don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah in their neighboring towns which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Sodom serves as a warning of God's coming wrath against wicked nations and wicked people. In other words, Sodom is the poster child for God's judgment. So it's fair to say that Sodom was not a wholesome place to reside, conduct business, and especially raise a family, as we're about to see. Now, we obviously won't have time to cover the entire chapter, but if you have your Bibles or apps handy, you can flip to chapter 19, and in just a second, I'll begin reading from the New Living Translation. Now, when Elizabeth left off last week in chapter 18, Abraham just finished interceding and negotiating with the Lord over Sodom's survival. Meanwhile, the other two divine visitors departed for Sodom to see what's up. Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So the first thing we notice is that the two visitors arrived to the entrance of the city at night where they happened to bump into Lot. And just like Abraham, Lot recognized that these were no ordinary visitors and therefore would require special attention. Secondly, I'm certain the two angels meeting Lot immediately upon their arrival in Sodom was no accident, but instead a divine appointment. Because as we're going to see, not only did the angels travel to Sodom in order to execute God's judgment by destroying it, after all, they could have done that from a distance, but they traveled to Sodom in order to demonstrate God's mercy by rescuing Lot and his family. A blessed reminder that if you belong to Jesus, he will never abandon you. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 6 when he said, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. You see, lots still belong to God in spite of his lapses in judgment, questionable life choices, and patterns of poor decision-making. And that's good news for all of us. Because God's mercy isn't granted based upon our perfection. It's granted based upon his character and goodness in spite of our imperfections. None of us, I don't care how good you are, is deserving of God's mercy. The Bible makes it clear that deserves got nothing to do with it. Paul put it this way in Titus chapter 3. God saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. We are recipients of God's mercy because of His goodness, not ours. And so, perhaps for the first time in a long while, Lot found himself right where God wanted him, crossing paths with the angelic visitors that came to rescue him and his family. And Lot quickly greeted them and insisted they come to his home to wash up, enjoy a feast, and spend the night. Let's pick it up in verse 4. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so that we may have sex with them. It seems Lot's chickens have finally come home to roost. Walking in the flesh rather than the spirit finally caught up with him as his wicked neighbors converged upon his house in an act of aggression to break in and sexually assault his two guests. And I couldn't help but notice that the unruly mob was made up of both the young and the old. A reminder that. Sin does not discriminate according to age or any other demographic. It eagerly establishes a foothold wherever it's invited to do so. The fact is, none of us are immune from the devastating consequences of sin. That comes in the next life. As long as we remain in this life, we're always vulnerable. The things we do and the choices we make matter in this life. And if you recall, back in chapter 4, following the murder of his brother Abel, God warned Cain regarding the dangers of sin when he said, If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You see, sin isn't only doing what you know to be wrong. It's also not doing what you know to be right. Sin doesn't discriminate. It seeks to infect and control and it's always looking for opportunities to establish a foothold wherever one can be found let's see how lot responded to the violent mob verse 6 so lot stepped outside to talk to them shutting the door behind him please my brothers he begged don't do such a wicked thing look i have two virgin daughters let me bring them out to you and you can do with them as you wish but please leave these men alone for they are my guests and under my protection." Now, although I do admire Lot's courage to intercede in an effort to protect his house guests, I must conclude that his proposed solution was absurd, to say the least. How did Lot ever come to the place where he thought it would be a good idea to bait the perpetrators away from his house guests by sacrificing his own daughters to the sexual appetites of a violent mob? Well, the answer is it didn't happen overnight. If you recall, first Lot looked towards Sodom and liked what he saw. Then he leaned into Sodom by pitching his tents on the outskirts of the city. And the slow and steady descent continued until Lot eventually moved his family within the city limits. The truth is, Lot's heart was in Sodom long before his body ever arrived. From the first moment he looked across the plain, it was love at first sight. And not only that, but the fact that Lot was hanging out at the city gates when we opened this chapter is an indicator that he was a man of some authority and blended in well with the locals. One of the problems with the church today is that we seem to be conforming more to the world's demands than we are God's commands. And this is particularly dangerous because conforming to the unbelieving culture is a slow progression that often goes unnoticed until it's much too late. Scripture makes it clear the world and the kingdom of God are not compatible. And they haven't been since Adam's sin in the garden. And trying to blend the two together doesn't work. And it's never going to work until Jesus returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. And Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to discern what is the good, Pleasing and perfect will of God. Lot chose to conform rather than transform, and as a result, his ability to discern and make godly church choices became severely compromised. Now, we can never separate completely from the world. That would be impossible anyway. But there is a difference between being on mission in the world like Abraham. becoming of the world like lot think of it this way if you're not influencing the people around you for Jesus then they're influencing you for the world whether you realize it or not after all Jesus placed us here to make disciples and we'll never make new disciples if we permit ourselves to be conformed to the world's standards rather than God's standards now Before we move on, I want to pause here for a moment and briefly reveal what Peter wrote regarding Lot in chapter 2 of his second epistle, because it'll help us to understand and view Lot from a slightly different perspective. Chapter 2 in 2 Peter. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he heard day after day. Now, I don't have time to unpack these two verses, but at first glance, Peter's words would appear to be somewhat puzzling, aren't they? After all, Lot chose to reside in Sodom, and there's been nothing up to this point to indicate that he ever regretted that decision. However, Peter makes it clear that as time wore on, Lot became less enthusiastic about his choice. In fact, the meaning in the Greek here is that Lot was becoming worn out by the shameful immorality and lawlessness around him. Look, God knows what's best for each of us. And when we choose to make key life decisions apart from his guidance, we set ourselves up for regret and disappointment. And now for Lot, regret and disappointment were pounding at his front door, demanding satisfaction. But where Lot was destined to fail, God was merciful. Verse 10. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, So they gave up trying to get inside. So we see the violent mob attempted to break and enter, but God intervened, and it was only by his mercy that Lot and his family survived that immediate threat. However, there was no time for Lot to sit back and rejoice in his rescue because little did he know he was about to encounter another crisis and this one much more severe. A reminder that when we choose to walk according to the flesh, we, we become blind to the dangers ahead. Lot certainly was. He had no idea what was looming in his immediate future, and it wasn't good. And the same can be true for us. Because if we choose to walk in our flesh rather than the spirit, it's like putting on spiritual blinders that hinder our ability to avoid the potholes of life in front of us. Lot's hometown was about to be destroyed, and he didn't have a clue. He didn't see it coming. And apart from God's mercy and intervention, Lot and his family would have been swept away in the destruction. Verse 12. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city, they asked? Get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, your daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. The ball of God's judgment was about to drop on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in a big way, because God had seen enough. God is patient. And as we learned last week, he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, and it's not his desire that anyone should perish. But even God has his limits. Sodom's opportunity for contrition and repentance had come and gone, and there was no further point in delaying the inevitable. In chapter 18, God told Abraham he would spare the city if he could find ten righteous people. But sadly, there weren't ten to be found. So how does Lot respond to this terrifying news? Well, it appears as though he's finally beginning to catch on. Verse 14. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. So Lot heeded the angel's warning and responded by dashing off to warn the others of God's imminent judgment However, he was rewarded for his efforts with sneering and unbelief. In fact, the meaning in the Hebrew here is they literally laughed at him. Now, I don't know about you, but I can sympathize with Lot here because we've all shared the hope of the gospel with others, including family members, only to be met with defensiveness, apathy, and sometimes even mocking. But when that occurs, take heart because that's the way it's always been. And that's why Isaiah wrote, who has believed our message? And Paul reinforced that truth when he wrote, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It certainly was for those fiancés because although they had an opportunity for rescue, they sadly opted out and chose to be destroyed with the rest of the inhabitants of the city. That kind of reminds me of the rich young ruler when he approached Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him, and he didn't like what he heard, and so he walked away sorrowing. He too opted out, a sobering reminder that the path to eternal life is not easy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, But the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Even so, never grow weary of sharing the good news that Jesus is the forgiving King. It took me personally 12 years from the first time I heard the gospel to surrender my life to Christ. Now, thankfully, and praise the Lord, I was granted 12 years to wrestle it wrestle with it but these fiance's were not let's pick it up in verse 15 at dawn the next morning the angels became insistent hurry they said to lot take your wife your two daughters who are here get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city when lot still hesitated the angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city For the Lord was merciful. Since the judgment of God was swiftly approaching, the angels urged Lot, pick up the pace, grab your family, and hightail it out of town. But curiously, we see here that Lot hesitated. The ESV interprets it this way, as though he lingered. Why would Lot linger at a time like this? He must have believed the angel's report, or he wouldn't have rushed off to warn other people. Well, the truth is, sometimes it's hard to say goodbye to old friends, especially friends that have established a deep bond within our souls. And unfortunately for Lot, Sodom became that friend. Now, for honest, there's a little bit of Lot in each of us. And if we're not careful, we can permit things to contaminate our lives that we're reluctant to release or put to death, even though we're aware of their destructive nature. And we tend to cling to those things just as Lot clung to Sodom. But the truth is, only God can satisfy the longing in our souls. That's how we were created and designed. And looking for satisfaction anywhere else is nothing more than fool's gold. Well, you know the rest of the story. God reduced Sodom and Gomorrah to a pile of ashes in a matter of minutes, a real-life example of his judgment. While on the other hand, he intervened to spare the life of Lot and his family as a real-life example of his rich, rich mercy. So what does all of this mean for us? Well, it means plenty, because like Sodom, there's a day of judgment on the way for all of us. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. You see, God is going to judge the world for all of its sin, corruption, and wickedness since the beginning of time. And we've all been contributors to those things in one way or another. And left to our own devices, we would have no hope whatsoever. But there is good news because James emphasized that mercy triumphs over judgment. And the pathway to mercy runs through Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Don't drink the cultural Kool-Aid that says all religious paths lead to heaven because they don't. There is one creator and one savior and one judge, and his name is Jesus. And the only thing that will matter on judgment day when you stand alone and naked before him, as we all will, is whether or not he knows you as his own because your sins have been cleansed by his precious blood. And if you have not yet come to that place where you have repented and placed your faith and allegiance in Jesus, the Son of God, for the forgiveness of your sins, then I urge you to do that today without delay, because he's waiting for you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. If that's you today, when this service is over, go to your room, close your door, get on your knees, and cry out to Jesus the King for forgiveness and ask him to grant you mercy. There are no magic words, he knows the sincerity of your heart. It's God that does the saving. And then when you do that, commit to live your life for him from this moment forward. And then tell somebody of your choice and decision. And if you don't have anybody, call the church and ask to talk to a pastor. And we would love to talk with you about that. Today is the day of salvation because mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you have stirred the hearts of those that need to hear this message, Lord. I pray that you would speak to them and that you would draw them in and that they would desire to know you and to place their faith and allegiance in you as their Lord and savior. And Lord, for those that have already done that, I pray that they would recommit Lord that they would be on mission with you. Like Abraham was on mission with you. And ultimately Lord, we thank you and praise you for your grace In your mercy, that which we don't deserve, it's only by your goodness. We love you and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.